Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Dear friends, thanks for joining us today on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. John Russin here, acting as your host with my dear friend, Pastor Frank Friedman. It's great to hear your voice today, sir. Oh, it's good to hear your voice. The marvel of technology, John. We're hundreds of miles away and talking as if we're in the same room. I know that. Isn't that cool? Thank you, Father, for uh, for some of this. Well, friends, if you've just joined us, Frank and I are dealing with a very painful topic. We're talking about forgiving others. Mm-hmm. And the last episode, we did a deep dive into a couple of verses, and we began with Ephesians 4.32 and Colossians 3.3, which command us plainly to forgive just as God has forgiven us. And of course, we ask the question because we're inquiring guys and inquiring minds want to know, but what exactly does God's forgiveness look like? How do we do it? Uh, What did he do? Uh, And how did his forgiveness of us change the dynamic of his relationship with us. And we began to look at the verses that I'm going to share in just a moment and unpack some of what God has done for us. And Frank, we looked at Psalm 103. Uh, As far as the East is from the West, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Then we looked at Jeremiah 31, 34, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. And my friend, if you recall, we ended our conversation with what does it look like as an offended person, as a wounded person, as a deeply, tragically wounded person? What does that look like? Can we possibly forget when the thoughts come back into our minds? What do we do with those? You know, how do we stop getting angry? Do we condemn them? We condemn ourselves. Frank, we we were chatted about lots of questions that we still left unanswered. So I want to start right there and throw that big gumbo of questions right in your lap <laughs> and ask you to unpack that for us from your decades of experience in the counseling room. Well, John, I'm so glad we're doing this because I believe this is one of, if not the biggest areas of hindrance to people experiencing the walk of faith, the experience of Christ in their lives. When there is unforgiveness or bitterness, it's going to hinder that flow of life. And the enemy knows that. So he sows a lot of confusion in this area. And there's the big one right there from the beginning. God chooses to not remember. That doesn't mean he forgets them because he's omniscient, it means he's not going to bring them up in our face for the purpose of condemnation, guilt, and shame. Now, he does bring them up to Peter. We saw that in John 21, but there was no shame, condemnation, or guilt. He brought them up only to show, I have fully restored you. Mm 
It was to manifest his grace, his finished work. And the fact that Peter was so fully restored, nothing changed the call of God on his life to be an apostle. That is amazing. And this is so very important, John, because we remember. I mean, I remember things that were done to me. And I remember sins that I've done. And so right away, we could start to say there's something wrong with me because I can't forget them. Yes. No, God doesn't forget them. The key is what we do with those thoughts. So, John, if you greatly wounded me in 1982 and the enemy serves up that memory or my brain serves up that memory, I have a choice. I can look at what happened in 82 and just go, that miserable man, I can't stand him, blah, 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 and down I'm going to go. Or I can renew my mind with the truth. Oh, yeah, I remember that, 1982. I also remember I chose to forgive him. That's how we do it. And we do it the same with ourselves. He serves up that memory of that foolish choice we made. And as soon as it pops in our brain, we can go, oh, I remember that, how stupid I was. What an idiot. And there goes the condemnation. Instead, we say, oh, yeah, I remember that. And I also remember that I chose to forgive myself. And I am not going to condemn myself anymore. God does not condemn me. Who am I to condemn myself? And we've got a biblical example of that. The Apostle Paul, he says in Timothy, I was the worst sinner ever. I persecuted the church. I murdered Christians. But what does it say in Philippians? He says, I forget what's in the past. Again, not that he forgets, but he's not going to live his life based on the past. And he says, I press on because I've got that prize, that calling of God in my life in the living Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not that we forget the past, it's that we deal with it. And we deal with it by forgiving. And the normal word for forgiveness, John, is a me, And it means let go of the debt. <laughs> let it go. That's the way to freedom. Now, there is a passage, Frank, in Matthew 8, 18. You remember this. Oh, yeah. You asked Jesus, hey, Jesus, how often will my brother sin against me and I've got to forgive him? As many <laughs> as seven times. Of course, Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. Then he tells this parable about a, about a king who had some servants who owed him some money, won a bunch, won a little. It says here he began to settle. One brought to him, owed him 10,000 talents. I don't even know how much that is, but I bet it's a lot. <laughs> and since he couldn't pay, his master had ordered him to be sold, his wife was saved. Anyway, anyway, the servant said, please don't sell me. And uh, so the, the master forgave him. Incredible. He forgave mm. him. But then what did that servant do, my friend? <laughs> he went right out and did just the opposite. Mm. So he was okay with having a debt released on him. But he turned right around and held that debt close to others and my goodness, what happened to that man, Frank? You remember that parable? Oh, yeah. The master put him in prison. And John, I would interpret that prison as the prison of bondage. 
the guilt, the condemnation, the prison of anger, the prison of rage, all those things that a spirit of unforgiveness or bitterness will produce in our lives. Here he was forgiven of a huge debt, but then couldn't forgive a very small debt. And oh, John, the point of that is you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that one out, do we? God has done a great thing in your life of forgiving you. Who are you to not forgive the little things? that people owe you. And John, you know, it's all of grace. And this might be a good time to do this. But in Ephesians 4.32, when he says, forgive others as God forgave you, he did not use the word ephiomi there. He used the word charizomai, which the root word is charis. We know it as grace. God graced you totally and completely gave you what you did not deserve. So therefore, go give others what they don't deserve. It puts a whole different light on the attitude and, John, maybe even the responsibility to forgive because we've been forgiven so much and we are, after all, the supreme issue in union, one spirit, with the greatest forgiver in the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. But you know, Frank, there's a wrinkle in what you just said. And I know there's a wrinkle there because I have wrestled with that wrinkle. And that is, uh, well, of course, Jesus forgave me because, you know, my sins weren't all that bad compared Mm. to what this wiener did to me. Uh, Of course, I can't forgive him. This is a heinous sin. But the truth is that every single one of our sins in God's eyes is absolutely heinous and demanding the blood of the Messiah for forgiveness. So there is no sin that is, in God's eyes, less demanding of the blood of the Savior. Hmm. All of them are awful. All you know, Regardless of how we view them, <laughs> God views them all hmm. the same. And so it's really... A misconception we often have that Mm. our sins are not nearly as bad as what this person did to me. So, of course, Mm. I am right in unforgiving. Mm. I am right in seeking vengeance. I'm right in plotting revenge because he deserves it. Mm. So you've heard this, Frank, Mm because I've heard it. And so in my mind, it reflects a total misunderstanding of just how much our sin, my even little tiny sins, wound, cause the wounds in my Savior and demand his blood in order to be restored to my Father. So there isn't a degree, there isn't a magnitude of sin in God's eyes. And so he forgives it all. Then it gets back to your statement. Who are we to not forgive the offense that's been perpetrated against us if our Savior has paid the ultimate price? But, you know, the fact is true. Our Savior paid the price for that person's sin who deeply wounded us. Mm. In Savior's eyes, that sin's forgiven too. So mm. who are we to hold that sin when our Savior's already paid the price? Mm. It's pretty sobering, my friend. It really is because I have been guilty over the years of looking at my sins and the sins of others against me in much that same way. John, that's 
true of all of us. We're all Pharisees or recovering Pharisees because, you know, Adam placed the whole world under the system of law. And so in that same passage, you know, Luke 18, Luke 18, uh, you know, we've got the Pharisees saying, I'm not like that guy. And I'm thankful I'm not like that guy. I fast, I tithe, I pray, look how good I am. And yet the sinner said, Lord, please be merciful to me. I'm, I'm a sinner. And Jesus said only the sinner went home justified. So we all struggle with that. And John, I want to make one comment, and this is going to sound like a rabbit trail, but it's not. It's popular among Protestantism to bash Catholics. Um, John, I was raised Catholic. You were raised Catholic. In many respects, I thank God for that upbringing. You will remember this. I'm sure you will. We were both old enough to be raised in that high mass. The moment you walked into that building, your hands were folded, your eyes were bowed, your head was bowed, you were silent, you didn't speak. There was communicated to you the otherness of God, this separation between us. It was drummed into your head how holy he is and how unholy we were. There in the mass, there was an altar. There was a sacrifice, a perpetual reminder. And John, what I'm saying is this, in our Catholic upbringing, there was instilled into us a fear of God that I'm not so sure the Protestant world had. And there's almost a flippancy I find with Protestants. Oh yeah, the grace of God. God and I are buds. We don't want to walk in fear, John. We know that perfect love casts out fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But when grace has so been pounded upon our hearts and minds, I wonder if people really have an appreciation for how great the veil of separation was between humanity and God until the Lord Jesus Christ tore the veil. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it certainly does. And when I listen to you talk, my mind is running to the book of Revelation and how the 24 elders responded they're just bowing down praising they recognize who god was what he was to them and showed nothing but reverence awe respect praise glory wonder i'm running out of words here frank mm. of how incredible he is and how incredible it is that he has reached down and made us his sons that we mm. can share in his glory so I think you're right. We're all guilty of familiarizing ourselves with God. And while that's not necessarily bad, we got to realize that he is the only true most high God. Mm -hmm. And we are his creations. Mm -hmm. We're just tough dirt he formed mm -hmm. together. And we need to keep that in perspective to keep this proper reverence. I know we're kind of getting on a rabbit trail, but 
You are so right, my friend. Uh, we need to reverence our Father and all he has done for us. And the next verse I'm going to throw at you is going to bring that point home perhaps better than any. And this is Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have present tense, Frank. Mm. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So this is one of the two verses I want to talk about today where we're looking from a New Testament perspective on what exactly God did for us when he forgave us. First, of course, we have it. Mm. It's present tense. We are forgiven. If you commit a sin in five seconds, that sin is already forgiven. Mm. And so the point is that many believers will think that, well, God forgave my sins up to the time I got saved, but I've got to keep short accounts with him. We've talked about this just mm -hmm. a few episodes ago. I've got to keep short accounts because I'm deathly afraid of dying with unconfessed sin. Well, the truth is that if Ephesians 1.7 is accurate, and I know it is, that we have redemption through his blood, quote unquote, hand in hand, the forgiveness of sins. And so mm. Christ's redemption through his blood of us comes with the package deal. It mm. comes with forgiveness of sins. And so mm. this is amazing. We are redeemed. He bought us back, released, delivered. We are liberated from the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of his dear son. And that comes lockstep with complete and total forgiveness, doesn't it? Yes, John, I'm so glad you brought out that idea of the forgiveness came through a purchase price being paid. It was almost as if we were on the auction block, slaves to sin. This is where it's so important what we were going on that almost rabbit trail. <laughs> that was all of us on that auction block. Your sin of pride puts you on that auction block equal standing as the one who had committed murder. We've got to understand how great that veil of separation was. We had no hope unless God came and said, I will bid for him and I will bid for him with the immeasurable worth of my blood and purchase you out of that kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of my beloved son. Oh, John, there's no room in the Christian faith for pride or arrogance. We are all receivers and therefore boasters, not of ourselves, but the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. That's right. And let's keep in mind, Frank, that this not only relates to our dynamic relationship with God, but it's a definition, it's a yardstick for how our forgiveness of those who wound us is supposed to look like. When mm -hmm. we forgive someone who wounds us, well, basically we're saying, you don't owe us anything. No reparation, no payback. We are reconciled to them, ready to receive them back 
as soon as they decide to reconcile with us. And this takes us, Frank, this idea of reconciliation, as you know, it takes us to 2 Corinthians 5, where Paul writes, you know, in Christ, God was busy reconciling the world to himself. What that means is that every single person now is welcome back in his kingdom if they are to reconcile themselves to God. And of course, the very next verse, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, therefore, here's the command. So go be reconciled to God. Mm. And so God has done everything to remove every obstacle between him and us. He holds nothing against us. The door is always open, no matter what we've done. He's ready to receive us. And so that's the template for us, Frank. If we truly forgive our offender, then if they do what 2 Corinthians 5 says, if they come forward and repent and they want to be reconciled to us, we are to receive them just as our Father God receives us. Again, this is not difficult. This is absolutely impossible without the life of Christ mm. in us, doing it through us as we collaborate with our Father. Mm. Yes, John, supernatural. And again, we quoted this last time, faithful is he who called you and he will do it. God does not call us to something that he himself is not the provision to accomplish what he's called us to. And so forgiveness is extended. That's the way God did it with humanity. But forgiveness is not restoration. Restoration occurs when there is repentance with God. And where repentance doesn't mean standing in front of the church and crying sorrowful tears. It means to change your mind. And you embrace the truth and you receive the living Christ. And it's the same way then with us. We forgive people. But there might not be restoration with them. That's going to come on their part when there is repentance, a changing of mind about what they did, why they did it, and how it needs to be fixed. And that begins the path to a restoration. And John, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't address a very important thought. This isn't easy. It's going to cost and you say, well, who's it going to cost? Well, let's look at the Lord Jesus Christ. For him to forgive us, it cost him dearly. The cost is always paid by the forgiver. And I wish there was a way to say that. I wish there was a way to communicate that in a great way. I don't know that I can. I Maybe I'll do it with an illustration. I buy Janet a diamond ring for our 40th anniversary. I don't have the money to do it. I put it on my credit card. It becomes an event. I give it to her in a moment in time. That's an event. But then I pay that credit card off for a long, long time. And so it's a process. And that's what forgiveness is. It's an event, an act of the will. I make a choice. I extend it, but it's going to cost me. And it's a process in terms of living out of that cost, pursuing the goal of restoration. And so forgiveness is simple, but John, it's not easy. No, it's not. Um, yeah. That's why I began 
either this or the previous episode, I forget which one now, the fact that it's arguably among the most difficult things for believers to do. Well, Frank, there's one more thought I want us to bring up before we wrap up. And that is to answer the question of, well, when we're offended, when we're wounded, when do we forgive? Oh, boy, that's a good okay. one. This is a good one. <laughs> and I pulled up Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14. I want to read these in their entirety because I think it's very powerful. And Paul writes, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses. So when did God forgive our sins? He forgave our sins in Christ when we were dead. I interpret that to say, how do we, or when do we forgive someone who offends us? We don't wait for them to apologize. Mm -hmm. We do it immediately. As soon as we can settle our emotions down, come to grips with the truth of Scripture, cling intimately with our Father, and trust Him to do it together with us. Mm. Uh, he forgave us while we were dead. He didn't wait for anything. Mm -hmm. And so, Frank, this says, forgive and forgive now. That's how mm. I interpret this. Uh, mm -hmm. Did I get that right? Yeah, John, absolutely. And Let's just drive that truck a little further. <laughs> In the New Testament, it's an imperative verb. And so it's a command. So when do we obey commands? Do we wait till we feel like it? I've had so many people in my office, John, that say, okay, I understand. I need to forgive. I'll do it when I'm ready. And do you really want to tell God I'll obey you when I'm ready to? That's just ludicrous. And the second thought I would add to that, John, is I would tell people, well, what you're telling me then is you'd prefer to live in the fruits of bondage that comes from bitterness. Why would you not love yourself enough to implement the method, forgiveness, which God put in place to set you free from those people that hurt you and what they did to you? Why would you want to continue to walk in the fruit of bitterness? It makes no sense, John. They've got to understand that forgiveness is for them, not for their offender. And because it is for them, and because the Lord Jesus Christ already did it for them, it's utter foolishness to wait around until you feel like it. You're just having yourself for lunch. You think you're having the person who hurts you for lunch, but you're really having yourself for lunch. No, you really are. Now, it's important to realize, Frank, as you and I know you recognize this, that when a serious wound comes, it's jolting. <clears throat> it's life-changing. It could take a long time to just let the emotional dust settle. But when that happens, the Holy Spirit will let us know promptly, I've commanded to forgive, and now is the time. And so we need to give grace for people who are in the midst of deep pain. But the bottom line is that if they want to recover freely, completely, mm -hmm. and walk in the freedom Jesus died to give them, they have to do the very same thing our Savior did, which was to forgive, to pay the price for forgiveness, 
and then go through the process. And we'll talk about the process in a number of weeks, how to do that. But you got to be willing to pay the price and then go through the process to make that forgiveness. Whether mm. or not they ever ask for it. Mm. Yeah, John, you think about that. Would God have us in bondage to unforgiveness because we have to wait for that other person to come and say they're sorry? My goodness. What if that person dies? That would mean you're going to be in bondage for the rest of your life. Yeah. This is a gift for yourself. And yes, John, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Sometimes the horror of what some people have done to somebody else, it's going to take a while for them to come to grips just with the fact of what was done. It's so unbelievable, so hideous that it may take a while to reach that point. And I, I'm glad you brought that up. But as soon as that shock wears off, the horror wears off, and and they're looking to God, I believe with all my heart, God will impulse them, uh, stimulate them, encourage them to bear the price and implement the tool, forgiveness, that will set them free of what was done to them. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for joining us today. Frank and I have been talking about a very painful subject, a difficult subject of forgiving those who wound us. So uh, if you'd like to be a part of our ministry, we like to talk about the, the issues of life in the trenches, real life in the trenches of everyday life. We encourage you to visit our website and you can find a way there to support our podcast, support our ministry. You can just click the donate button. You'll find that in the upper right corner of the homepage. And while you're there, spend some time, relax, uh, as the Beverly Hillbillies used to say, set a spell. And grab yourself a coffee and check out some of the many different resources we have there on the website, all of which have one goal, which is to lead you to Jesus Christ, your very life. We've got lots of other outlets as well, social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube channel. And of course, we remind you, as always, at the end of each and every podcast, that no matter what you're facing, no matter what the wound is that you've received there is hope for you. There is great hope, a living hope. Frank and I call it a resolute hope. And that hope is a person. And that person is Jesus. So today mm. and always choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.